did stir y'all up, I guess, on this prayer thing I started. Because Gay told me she sold more tapes than she'd ever, or CDs than she'd ever sold on a Wednesday night. And we didn't have a big crowd. So uh, I know I, I, I got a hold of your hot button in some ways, I guess. And I think I raised more questions than I answered. <laughs> because I've been answering some of them this week. But uh, out of respect to God's word, let's read the scripture together and give you a little chance to stretch. And before I start, I'm glad to see Mrs. Ward back tonight. She's been gone for two or three months, and she's back with us back up here somewhere. So good to have you, Gladys. Okay, Matthew 7, and read with me uh, two verses of scripture, 7 and 8. Everybody, out loud, together, good and strong from word number one. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And Heavenly Father, I pray give me the simple words and thoughts to express your word and will tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Back up with me for a, little, for, for a bigger, a larger context. Matthew chapter 5. Look there and you have the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount starts there with the Beatitudes. And then in chapter number 6, you will notice in verse number 9 that the Lord gives the model prayer, the pattern prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it was more accurately a model, a pattern for us to direct and guide our prayers by. And then in chapter 7, he returns to the subject of prayer. By the way, a lot of 6 is about prayer. And he talks about going into your closet and praying and all those kinds of things. Don't be hypocritical in your prayers. Verses 5 of chapter 6 and so on. And then we come to 7. And 7, I think he defines prayer. He, he speaks again a great deal about prayer, even in verses that we didn't read. Ask, and it shall be given you. And when I say he defines prayer, last Wednesday night, I defined prayer for you. Now, you know what prayer is in one way. Prayer is talking to God. And yes, that's prayer, speaking to the Lord. Prayer is making our requests made known unto the Lord. Yeah, that's prayer. That's an accurate definition. But I think here you can almost use the words of this text to define prayer. Prayer is asking. Because I look up the word ask here, and it means to beg, to request, one time in the New Testament, the same Greek word is translated to crave something. Now, crave really puts the emphasis on desire. So what is prayer? Prayer is to beg for something. It's to request, even to crave something, or to deeply desire something, to really fervently want it. And Jesus said then, beg, crave, desire, Ask, and it shall be given you. The first part of the phrase is 
basically a commandment, if you will, or an exhortation. Ask, one word, command, exhortation. But then it's followed by promise, it shall be given. And so my definition I gave you last week, and the definition was prayer is asking. And the answer to prayer is receiving. Now, look at the phrase in your Bible. Look at your Bible. I want you to really see this. Ask. That's prayer. Asking is prayer. It shall be given you. That's an answer to prayer. Continue. Seek. That's the command. That's prayer, to seek God. And the answer is, you shall find. And then the third word is knock. And knock, and the answer to a knock is what? A closed door? No, the answer to a knock is an open door. So if I knocked on your door, as two Jehovah's Witness gentlemen did on mine this morning, and I opened the door and the guy said, Oh, I know you. (laughs) and I kid you not it's funny he broke out in this sweat he was sweating clear through his shirt and I just listened for a few minutes and I I thought I just you know I'm not going to convince you you're not going to convince me I don't think today and so I listened to his spiel for a minute and I said let me tell you I don't want to argue with you but you know I don't believe anything you say But I will tell you this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the unique only Son of God, contrary to your New World Translation, John chapter 1 says he's a Son of God. And I said, you know what? The unique Son of God came into the world and died on the cross for my sins and yours. And if you will repent of your sins and put your faith in him, you can go to heaven. And anybody that believes that I'm for and anybody that doesn't believe that I'm against them. <laughs> and he said, "Well, we 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 we, we believe that too." <laughs> and, I, and I thought, "No, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't say that if you let me just talk to you a minute more." But I don't have time because I am studying for a bunch of hard-headed Baptists tonight that I've got to talk to about prayer. So <laughs> he was relieved, and so was I. But at any rate, the Lord says, "Ask." That's what prayer is. Here's the definition of prayer. Prayer is asking. Prayer is seeking. Prayer is knocking. And the answer to prayer is being given what you ask for, finding what you seek for, and having opened the door that you knocked on. So the two Jehovah's Witnesses men knocked on my door. What I did, I opened the door. No. What do we usually say? Not he opened the door. He what? He answered the door. Isn't that what we say? Just like prayer. He answered the door, meaning they knocked and I responded in answer to their knock. Now, go with me, keep your hand there in James chapter 4. And uh, I had to explain all this other stuff to you and it's kind of taken a lot of my time, but I really want you to get hold of this because the Lord has really been speaking to me about this. James chapter 4, verse 2 You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight war. Okay, here we go. Yet you have not because you ask not. Now he turns it around. 
The reason we don't have answers is because we don't ask. There are things we could have, but we didn't ask for them. Is that what it says? Say amen if that's what it says. There are some things you could get from God, but you didn't, you didn't, you didn't ask him. Now continue reading, verse 3. And sometimes you ask, and you don't get what you ask for. Why? Because you ask amiss. You're, the flaw is in the asking. You ask, but you don't get what you ask for. The door doesn't open. You don't find what you seek for, and you don't get what you ask for because you ask wrongly. The reason being and the motive that is wrong is that you may consume it upon your lusts. That you pray selfishly. You pray for the wrong reasons and when you do, you don't receive what you ask for. Notice in both of these scriptures are two sides to prayer. There's God's side and there's man's side. Now, I'm kind of reviewing because I feel like I, I, I may have left some confusion last week. Christians ought to get real, definite answers to their prayers. Amen? Christians ought to get their prayers answered. But when you say what I said to you last week, I could tell by your countenance and I could tell by comments you made to me since that's a little extreme because I stood here and I said to you, listen, folks, the Bible says if we ask, we will receive. And the Lord didn't qualify that. He didn't put a whole bunch of limitations on that. Now, it may seem extreme because of our times because I really believe after years of pastoring, Many, many Christians pray without any anticipation of receiving. They don't ask in order to get something from God. Prayer has become a religious ritual. Prayer is phrases and words we string together to address God, but in our heart, before we prayed, we didn't expect an answer. We didn't pray with an expectation that we were going to get something. We prayed as a religious practice, exercise, whatever you may call it, a ritual even. And then the verse in James says we pray selfishly. We pray to consume it upon our lust. We pray for our, because that's what we want without a thought of the will of God. How much time did we spend in searching the scripture and searching our hearts before we even asked? Maybe we ought to spend a lot more time, about three or four times as much time searching our heart and searching the scripture to find out the will of God and then ask briefly than to spend so much time just talking and, and sometimes not asking for anything. Other people, and I, I, I criticize the books that are being written on prayer today because I tell you, if you, read, if you go, the, I don't want to sound really caustic and critical, but you go to that Christian bookstore and pick up the average new book on prayer, 
I'd like to sit down and talk to that person and find out how many real answers to prayer and what work God has really done in their life. Or are they just an author writing things they've picked up? Because they will tell you that prayer is meditation, prayer is adoration, prayer is thanksgiving, prayer is all these different things like this. They confuse other types of communication with God with prayer. Is what I'm saying. I do not believe that prayer is thanksgiving. Now I begin every time I communicate with the Lord, thanking the Lord. I've taught you that. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. The appropriate way to approach the throne of God is thanksgiving. But don't confuse thanking the Lord with praying because prayer is asking. I believe in meditation. I love to take my Bible and sit for a few minutes in the morning and just think about some area of the scripture and search my heart and think about what, it, what God you know, wants to say to me through that passage. But that's not praying. That's meditation. The Bible teaches me to give thanks. I'm not down on thanksgiving. I'm not down on meditation. I think every Christian ought to be thankful and express thanksgiving. Every Christian ought to voice praise to Almighty God. Every Christian ought to meditate. Every Christian ought to confess their sins. But confessing sin is not prayer. Prayer is asking God for something and seeing Him give it back to us. Getting an answer ultimately. And I'll tell you, I'm in good company. Now, I didn't, I didn't originate this view. This is not original and and. I think some of y'all, you didn't say it, but I, you know, I got a nose for this stuff. I've been pastoring 43 years, man. Um, I, I used to call up more experienced pastors when I had a problem. I don't know one now. <laughs> I'm the most experienced one I know. Well, the thing is, I'm in good company on this stuff because the people that I would like to talk to about, to about prayer are all dead. Except maybe one of these guys. Maybe one of them, and I don't even know if he's alive still. Everybody else is dead. But you know what? They had corn in their crib. They had proofs that God answered their prayers. And they weren't just some author writing a book for some literary agent to be sold in the, you know, so-and-so chain of bookstores. They were people who walked with God and had corn in their crib. They had proof that God had answered their prayers. And that's the kind of guy I want to talk to about prayer. And I, 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 they're all in the graveyard. People like Charles Spurgeon. Does Charles Spurgeon agree with me that prayer is asking? Well, let's turn over here, page 9. We find a powerful reason for expecting prayer to be effective in the fact that it is an institution of God. In God's word, we are over and over commanded to pray. God's institutions, like prayer, are not folly. Can I believe that an infinitely wise God has ordained for me an exercise, prayer, that is ineffective and is no more than child's play? Does God tell me to pray, and yet does prayer have no more of a result than if I whistled to the wind or sang to a grove of trees? If there's no answer to prayer, prayer is a monstrous absurdity. And God is the author of it, which it is blasphemy to even assert. 
Only a fool will continue to pray when you have once proved to him that prayer has no effect with God and never receives an answer. If it is indeed true that its effects end with the man who prays, then prayer is a work for idiots and madmen, not for sane people. Pretty plain talk, isn't it? If you can't ever get an answer, if you can't pray and expect an answer, he, Spurgeon said to you, I wouldn't even say this to you. He says, we're idiots and madmen for trying. John Bassanio is the longtime pastor of the First Baptist Church of Houston. And I always loved to hear Johnny Bassanio preach. Man, he was a powerhouse. And uh, Bassanio said, do you really expect an answer to your prayers? Have not most of us had the sad experience of praying so generally, so long, that when scattered drops of answered prayer do fall, they're so rare as hardly to be noticed? Away with empty prayer. Nothing has affected my life or will yours as learning of this mighty treasure in the storehouse of God's dealings with man. Answered prayer, listen to this, is not a miracle. It is a law. It should always be. It may always be. It will always be. When the laws are kept and certain rules are observed, it is always to be expected. When the child of God prays and his prayers are answered, he says three things happen. He has prayed in faith believing. He has prayed specifically and met the conditions of a loving Heavenly Father. And the Father has kept his promise and responded. J.C. Rowe. I bought hundreds of copies of this book years ago, and we sold them to the church, I think, for a dollar or two each. It's called A Call to Prayer. J.C. Rowe was an English Anglican bishop. Wouldn't be the kind of guy that you would think we'd be promoting in a Baptist church, and yet The Call to Prayer, A Call to Prayer by Rowe. You can read it in one night. In fact, last night I laid in bed before I went to sleep and read this old book again. Man, it put me under conviction. Woo! What a powerful book. He says, prayers answering, or asking and getting answers. One of the best, Dr. John R. Rice, prayer, asking, and receiving. 400 pages on the subject. And oh, what a wonderful book. How it's enriched my life. How I've read it and studied it, and I'm back on it again. Mountain Rain. James Fraser was a missionary with the China Inland Mission to Yunnan province, that's where my daughter is tonight, in southwest China. Some of the highest mountains in the world, the foothills of the Himalayas. And he went there as a 20-year-old single man from England in uh, 1916, 18, along there, and, lit, and stayed there until he died in like 1941 or two. It's his story. When he went to that tribe of people, several hundred thousand people, the Lizu people, there was not one Christian. They were worshiping their ancestral spirits. When he left, it was said, they're all Christians. He converted virtually everybody in several hundred thousand people, the Lizu people that lived deep in those mountains. And he did it with prayer. And it's the greatest missionary story of prayer. Y'all ought to get you one of these. You ought to beg, borrow, steal, but you can't have my copy. <laughs> and get you one, take it back with you. It'll encourage you. Hudson Taylor founded the China Inland Mission. 
He went to China by himself as a single young man. He was an English man. He determined, he went and lived in the slums of London in the poorest house he could find in London because he said, I want to find out if God really answers prayer before I go to China. I don't want to go to China by myself. That was in the 1800s. You have to go on a steamship two or three months. I don't want to go over there by myself and find out God doesn't hear prayer. The only thing, I I don't know anybody in China. I don't know the language. I know nothing. I have no finances. I'm going to move to China and support myself. And I'm going to die if God doesn't answer prayer. So he wrote down, this is his goal, to move God, uh, pardon me, to move men through God by prayer alone. That was his, that was his, uh, his thing. To move men through God by prayer alone. And he gave up all of his income. He lived in that slum. And he was sick and he needed medicine. And he prayed and got the medicine and got well. He believed that prayer was asking something of God and getting answers from God. It was called his spiritual secret. Charles Blanchard was the second president of Wheaton College. His daddy founded it. And Blanchard took over Wheaton in 1848, was the president until, uh, pardon me, he took over in 1882, and he was the president until his death in 1925. During that time, Wheaton College became known as probably the, the, the epitome of all Christian colleges in America for much of that time. It was very fundamental then. It's not so much so today, but at that time, it was the fundamental Bible-believing school of all schools in the country. He was the president, godly, godly man. The name of his book is Getting Things from God. And he says, what is prayer? Well, it's asking, he says. And what's an answer to prayer? It's receiving, getting an answer from prayer. And um, I wish I could read to you from it. Praying Hyde, who would, was a missionary in India. And the last year that he was there, personally led to Christ and baptized over 4,000 Chinese, or, or Indians, rather, in India. He died when he was about 40. He would spend endless times in prayer, knew more about prayer, and... Um, It was something to see the answers to prayer. George Mueller of fame, prayer fame, had the orphanages and fed the orphans, 2,000 of them for years. Probably the best-selling book on prayer that's ever been written is by Andrew Murray with Christ and the School of Prayer. This book was written up, oh, 100 years ago or more, and you still, you could go to a bookstore today and buy it. This one is, they retitled it The Believer's School of Prayer, but it's the same book. I thought I'd read to you a little bit of it because I want you to see that I didn't lose my mind in giving you this definition. That the people that we know as the great men and women of prayer, that's what they believe. They prayed to get answers. They didn't pray to just 
speak religious rhetoric. And I don't know how that makes you feel, but it makes me feel uh, convicted. If I'm praying, I might as well get answers to prayer. Or why waste my breath? Listen to Andrew Murray, a godly South African. Christ has no mightier stimulus to persevere in prayer in his school than this. As a child has to prove a mathematical sum correct, so the proof that we have prayed correctly is an answer. <laughs> Pretty good logic, huh? If we ask and receive not, uh, yeah, if we ask and receive not, it is because we have not learned to pray in the right way. Let every learner in the school of Christ therefore believe that Master's promises to answer in all simplicity. He had good reasons for speaking so unconditionally. Let us beware of weakening the word with human wisdom. When he tells us heavenly things, let us believe him. His word will explain itself to him who believes it fully. And if questions and difficulties arise, let us not seek to have them settled before we accept his word. No, let us entrust them all to him. It is his work to solve them. According to the master's teaching, prayer has two sides, human and divine. The human is the asking, the divine is the giving. Or to look at both from the human side, there's the asking and the receiving, the two halves that make up the whole. He tells us that we are not to rest without an answer because it is the will of God. It is the rule of the Father's family that every childlike believing petition be granted. If no answer comes, we're not to sit down in the sloth that calls itself resignation and suppose that it is not God's will to give us an answer. No. Something in the prayer must not be as God would have it be, childlike, believing. So we must seek for grace to pray so that the answer may come. It is far easier to the flesh to submit without the answer than it is to yield itself to be searched and purified by the Spirit until it has learned to pray the prayer of faith. One of the terrible marks of a diseased state of Christian life in these days is that there are so many who rest content without specific answers to prayer. They pray daily. They ask many things. They trust some of them will be heard, but know little of direct, definite answer to prayer as the rule of daily life. But it is this that the Father wills. And he goes on. 200 and some pages. Prayer, real prayer, should seek an answer and we should get answers, real, definite, specific answers to prayer. And when we see the weak and anemic and impotent state of things today in the church, in our own lives personally, the lack of power that we have as Christians, the falling away of God's people, the worldly lifestyles, 
the lack of holiness and godliness and righteous living among Christian people and this overwhelming tide tsunami of evil sweeping across our country and our culture destroying us. Can you tell me what subject would be more important for me to teach on and pray on, or preach on than prayer? What subject would, would you rather really know and master and practice than prayer? And so uh, if we're not getting answers to prayer, we need to find out why. We need to spend a lot of time just searching our hearts until it becomes vital and real. And when we kneel down and pray, we expect God to answer. And we don't ask Him for frivolous things that we haven't even thought about. We search our mind and our thoughts and we get serious and we say, you know, I don't want to ask the Lord for that. I don't believe that's in His will. I don't even know if that's in His will. So I'm going to spend some time thinking and searching my heart. And then when I ask Him, I'm going to know that His will is clear. When they came out and told us, look, you've lost your TVs, you lost your slots. And first, my first response was sort of anger, to be honest with you. I didn't reflect it to anybody, but boy, I was angry inside. And then I began to think, you know, all we can do is pray about this. But are we going to pray expect, expecting an answer? Or are we just going to pray? And Well, we prayed, forget it. I talked to the manager in the day, later in the day and made us the offer, so we're not off. I don't know what God's will is in that. I'm, I'm a little disappointed still, but because I want everybody, I, I want to preach the gospel to everybody I can preach the gospel to in the days I have left. I want to preach it simply and clearly and biblically and powerfully. And it bothers me if there's one person that I lost in the process. But So I thought, you know, now what is God's will? And I searched my heart before I prayed even about it. What is God's will? Well, I know one thing. It is not His will that any should perish. It is His will that we get the gospel out. And so we'll do everything we can to sort of push things in that direction. That's our part, but we pray the Lord and, and we have to depend on Him. We have to trust Him for what we can't do. Well, I was going to talk to you about other areas of it, but tonight I just want to re-challenge you to be very serious in your prayer life. We're, we may be missing a whole lot that God has for us, folks, because we've not taken time and effort to learn to pray as the Lord wants us to learn. Well, we don't, and you know what? I've talked to you about the importance of it. Now it's 8 o'clock. So I'm going to close tonight. I'll just lead us in prayer where normally we come down and pray, but we had a lot to get in tonight. Heavenly Father.